Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Lori Farley. Lori's business and voluntary commitments curate and facilitate connections, relationships, and opportunities for social change through entrepreneurship, partnerships, and alliances between various sectors around the globe, including community development, arts, disability, education, and technology. Lori is involved in numerous ventures related to social innovation and socioeconomic development, including Intonovus Canada and Impact Calgary. And now I'll pass the mic to Lori while she interviews Brad Gollin. Take it away, Lori. Thanks, Al. Welcome back to the Leaners, uh, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcasts. I'm Lori Farley, co-founder of Internobus Canada and Impact Calgary. As you may or may not know, we're working towards launching the Impact Hub here in Western Canada because we really support social economic development and everything that we do comes from a for-profit business, impact first perspective. And so, hence, today we're going to be talking to Brad Gollin, who is the Chief Evolution Officer of Civo Solutions. Um, and he's also an executive team coach and a serial entrepreneur. Welcome, Brad, to the conversation. How are you doing? Thank you, Laurie. Uh, great to visit with you. And I'm, I'm doing great here at home, which is always entertaining. But uh, I've actually had great family time. So I really enjoyed that. But business goes on as usual. Regardless, the conversation that we, we've had this conversation before, we're having a bit of a mulligan to, to our um, podcasting experience as we're not in the studio podcasting like we normally do. We're relearning how to do all of our stuff totally virtual. And uh, we had a conversation about how the kids are perceiving the, the COVID experience versus how the adults are just experiencing it. The kids are like, yes, we know school. We get to work from home. We're playing games with the family, total family time. And the parents and the adults are like, uh, we can't do everything we want. We can't go outside. We can't shop whenever we want. So very interesting how different uh, cultures, different uh, age groups are experiencing the experience of COVID. So we are here to talk about our business experiences and a little bit how how do we know each other. We met in uh, 2016, uh, early days of Rainforest. I went to my first Rainforest meeting in December of 2016 and you were there or there soon around the same time I was and you just had an exuberance to you and we just got to hang out because at that time, Rainforest only had 15 people at every meeting. So that's how we know each other a little bit. And then um, we did a little stuff together through the Doghouse Energy Innovation Theater. I took over from you. Uh, you had been running that for a while and making a, a space for showcasing small businesses, clean tech, green tech at the um, Globe Petroleum Show. So you have an entrepreneurial mindset. You have an entrepreneurial journey to tell. So can you tell us, uh, share with us? Uh, like who you are and where you came from. Sure, sure. That'd be great. So uh, now, like you, I'm based in Calgary. I grew up in Edmonton, did my undergrad in mechanical engineering at University of Alberta. Started my career as an engineer, uh, doing everything from design, steel fabrication into petroleum, worked for Petro-Canada, and kind of progressed through various areas uh, in engineering, reservoir engineering, production engineering, project engineering, pipeline, which is quite relevant these days. I spent a number of years doing that type. 
And then uh, I guess kind of what got me into entrepreneurship, well, actually, first it got me into uh, grad school was one of these cycles we have in the energy industry. So we had another big downturn in late 80s. I got to check out with a bit of a package and went back to uh, university and did graduate school. So I did an, an MBA specializing in entrepreneurship. Uh, UFC back then was one of the two schools in Canada that offered a specialization. And so took that. It, it really appealed to me. Um, I kind of wanted to get out of the, the crazy cycles of the energy sector and just the whole idea of starting something and, and building something from scratch really appealed to me. Plus, I always had that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. Even when I was working as an engineer, everything was a problem to be solved and you, you saw something that was missing or needed, then, you know, got to fix that, got to got to find a solution. So. Um, from there, I uh, got experience uh, managing a few different companies until I kind of had the courage and, and an opportunity. I started my first company back in 94. It's called The Post Report. It's, I, uh, after a few years, I built it up and then sold it off to uh, uh, Nichols Southern Publishing. It's still being published today. And that led into my next startup, which was a key contact database service for uh, for industrial marketing and business development. And then that led into my next startup, which was an internet startup back in the road, the tech boom up and the tech bust down <laughs> back in the 2000s, which was like a pre-populated uh, Salesforce.com. Actually, I met with the Salesforce guys back when they were uh, in Houston, there was only 25 people in the company and we talked about mergers and potentially putting them together. And, you know, our idea of a pre-populated database with industry contacts in it is, is really a nexus point. They thought it was great. They stuck to their model and, and to see which one of us was, was on the right track. And then after that, uh, taking all of the money I'd earned from my first couple of startups and sinking them into their tech startup. I had to go back to, uh, to working for a living. <laughs> so I, uh, I took on a number of executive uh, roles uh, with an engineering firm to pivot them and, and basically become an internal entrepreneur. I, I reinvented them as a product company and it ended up getting them bought by a big American multinational. And then uh, business development for the third largest uh Oilfield Service Rig Company in Canada for a number of years. And then again, in one of the cycles, kind of had a chance to, to become an entrepreneur again and, and then also focus on consulting because I'd always been working with various companies and various startups and sitting on advisory boards, working on committees like you, you know, helping the, the community and the ecosystem. And so, you know, 08, 09, when everything was kind of going slow, I felt like I could make more of a difference by instead of just starting a company, and we did start a, a mentoring platform a couple of years later, uh, I felt like I really wanted to kind of provide service and support from all of my lessons learned in executive roles and entrepreneurial roles, you know, successes and failures. I've learned a lot more from my failures than I did from my successes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> and, uh, and so that's that became the consulting, specializing kind of in strategy, but more importantly, strategy execution, operational excellence, and um, really kind of helping organizations be, become agile and adaptive and being able to kind of pivot and pursue new opportunities, which, which is really still that kind of entrepreneurial thinking. So, you know, the last 
10 years, I've been kind of split between the consulting side and helping companies as an executive team coach to grow and develop and adapt. Um, and then my own startups. So uh, we've had one called Go Mentor, which has been a, a journey. Uh, we can talk about that if you if you want to go into more depth. And then right now I'm co-founding a, a real estate platform, which we're going to be uh, launching in beta here in about three months. So it's it's been an, an adventure and a journey. Well, it's, 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 it's just interesting all the things that you've gone through. And I know you're really all about the team. And so I think some of the team work that you're doing as in your consulting and you also I think you do a lot of mentoring as well and go mentor was maybe maybe a bit of the product of that so how do you marry or how are how are uh, team building and working with teams and mentoring and working with the different layers of you know people within a team potentially or totally separate from teams how does that work together or not for you guys well actually it works together well because you know when I'm doing kind of executive team coaching, usually what limits companies where companies fail and whether it's at a startup level or whether it's, you know, a lot of the companies I work with are 10, $20 million companies, but they've hit a ceiling. And that ceiling is usually the effectiveness of their team. And so, you know, having lived it myself and my own business experience, whether it's with startups or with, with larger organizations, you've got to get the people thing right first or nothing else will work. So having the hands-on experience and then being able to work and facilitating other teams, I find makes me more credible and, and more useful because I'm not talking the theory of, of how we make this work. You know, every company I've worked with in the last 12 years has grown significantly um, and kind of reinvented themselves. You know, the I called the company Sivo, Chief Evolution Officer, because I thought I was doing kind of strategy execution, operational type of work. But when I talked to all the companies I worked with, they said, really, we're different. We're a different organization than we were. You know, the, who we are and the key, the core of what we are is the same. But how we work together and how we position ourselves and our clarity of vision and all those things, you know, it, it's really the team being aligned on all of that, aligned on the vision and and really clear on roles and responsibilities and having the right people in the right seats. You know, all those things are, are kind of key to an organization succeeding as a startup or getting to that next stage and growing as, as a successful, um, you know, operating company that's, that's really trying to expand and fulfill its potential. Right. So that's pretty insightful to, to, to change how you're, how you, how you see yourself based on how your customers see you. So did you solicit that information or did you hear that information or like, how did you, how did you get that feedback that gave you that insight into thinking differently about who you are as a business? Um, I, I solicited it. I went out and interviewed three quarters of my, my clients. And I actually do this in my consulting. I, I did what's called a voice of the customer, pulse of the customer research. So I went out and sat down with each one of them how valuable was this? How would you score it? So we have a quantifiable metric, a KPI. And, you know, what were the things that really made a difference? What could I do better? That type of thing. And again, this is something as for entrepreneurial companies, startup companies, assuming you know what's in your customer's mind or your <laughs> prospect's mind is always a big mistake. You know, it's it's so much easier to just go ask. So, you know, I went out and asked. And that's, that's so critical to, to our success is... 
a lot of companies, a lot of my clients appreciated even just the, the opportunity to have the conversation and, and me not making assumptions and, and asking them straight out and hearing it in their words really kind of changed my perspective. It was kind of what I thought, but a lot more so. I love that. Yes, it's very, it's, it's so true in the, not only the startup ecosystem and the entrepreneur ecosystem in general, in general, we don't ask for other people's opinions of us or our businesses. I don't know why that is. Uh, we were uh, through Rainforest running Alts Bruton's Innovation Ninjas uh, sessions for quite some time. And uh, one of the questions is, is how, how many people have you, how many customers have you talked to? Invariably, it would be zero to 10, 15, and people aren't comfortable going out and talking to their customers. Do you have any insights into why that is and how we help entrepreneurs get around that? You know, I, I think there's a certain aspect of insecurity and ego involved. As an entrepreneur, you know, your your idea, your business idea is your is your baby. I think there's a fear that what if somebody doesn't like it? What You know, what if somebody criticizes it? And in some respects, you want to do as much as you can to prove it up and, and make it something real before you go ask, because you want it to have its best shot of success. Where and and I felt that way. I've, I've lived that, and I've I've paid the price for that mistake because you know now when I advise companies or I advise entrepreneurs, I say the sooner you get in front of a customer and a customer tells you what they want. And that if you can do this for them and they'll work with you to do it, then that's your, probably your biggest track path to success. Yeah. The more you sit and, and isolate on your idea and, and canoodle to yourself, the more it is, it's easy to get just kind of insulated and, and distant from the market and distant from your customers. And, and then when you bring it out and, and you don't hear what you want to hear, you know, you've got to unwind so much more stuff. Yeah, I think that similar goes at the investment level too. People aren't in touch with their customers and they're at the same time not in touch with their investors because they're selling what they're doing and they're not selling the pro or they're not discussing the problems that they're trying to solve that that investor or that customer needs. And even then you may For still sure. be wrong. I, I interviewed over, I did a hundred interviews before I started GoMentor. So, you know, I didn't want to make that mistake as exactly as you described. And yet, even at that point, you know, we we went down this mentoring platform for corporations and we were in negotiations with companies for years who said, oh, this is great. This is wonderful, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, you know, after three and a half years, we, we figured out we were in the wrong market. Cultures were not going to we could not change a corporate culture. We had to go find a culture that worked the way, you know, our, our, our idea and our technology did. And so an HR director from a big company, actually from Hewlett Packard said, oh, let me introduce you to the alumni guys at Stanford, <laughs> you know, and, and voila, we pivoted. <laughs> the pivot. Yes. So what are some of the other hurdles that you're aware of in the sort of for entrepreneurial success? I know you're really into the entrepreneurial ecosystem. And so I'm curious about your insights in this area. Well, I think there's a there's a couple of things that I've kind of been reintroduced and, and remembered. One of the things I've discovered that I brought into my consulting and also into my entrepreneurial work is this whole aspect of conscious capitalism and, and kind of ESG, environmental social governance, this kind of stuff is kind of a subset of this conscious capitalism movement. And it's kind of really brought me back to basics in terms of startups and entrepreneurship, which is what's your purpose? You know, 
identifying and absolutely being clear, crystal clear on, on what, how are we trying to make the world a better place? What difference are we trying to make? Because, you know, in a sense, to lead our startups, to lead any size company, the first step you've got to have is be able to share that vision. But you've got to have a vision and you've got to have a purpose that truly motivates you because the only way you can put through the suffering and the misery and the, and the you know, endless hours you put in as, a, as an entrepreneur is, is you've got to tap into your passion. And your passion is always tied to your purpose. So getting real clarity on that and, and not letting other, you know, you start talking to investors and the money guys and everyone else and everyone's focused on the numbers and all these other things. But at the end of the day, that person, that customer that you're, you're, you want to help, if you're not crystal clear on that and, and you can't tell your story around your why, Simon Sinek, I, I love because he's a very conscious business leader, business advisor. Um, and he always talks about you have to start with why. So for entrepreneurs, never let go of that why. What's what's the big problem I'm solving? How am I making things better? Who is my customer? And I've got to be so deeply into their thinking and, and their understanding, you know, better than they are almost. Because if we're truly disruptive and innovative as entrepreneurs, then quite often we have to understand their problems better and show them how we're looking at it from a different perspective and maybe bring something new they hadn't thought of or, or improved, even if they had, and being able to show them that, that I have a passion to help you deal with this and look what I brought you. Yeah, I, you and I are 1000% aligned in this, in this matter. As you know, I'm coming from an impact first perspective and supporting businesses to embed uh, social sustainability in social impact so that businesses in this new economy, the next economy, which we're already in, by the way, are ready, future fit, strongly sustainable um, business models. Um, those are the standards and the, and the best practices and the new theories that we're really purporting. And we've, we've had a firm belief from the very beginning of time. I've been a, a social entrepreneur my whole life. I just didn't know it. Learning, learning to understand how different industries work together or don't work together. You know, I was uh, the executive director of Neighborhood Toy Stores of Canada out of um, Ontario, working here virtually, and the executive director of the Alberta Construction Trucking Association and working with lots of arts groups, so all sorts of different industries and putting those things together and understanding how technology impacts disability and the, the social impacts of every what everybody's doing in their each silo if people were working together and thinking collectively the really cool and interesting and innovative things that can come out of that. And one of the things that you've always talked about is on this conscious capital journey. Well, we've also believed that we can't actually bring up a bunch of socially conscious businesses if we don't have investors that are ready uh, and able to invest in those. And I think in Alberta, they're quite slim pickings in that area. We have a few and we know who they are. Um, but we also don't know who some of them are, especially the younger generations and the, the people that have been doing it more of as a hobby, um, sort of isolated. It's not something that we're talking about, what we're investing in. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really difficult as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, three things rock my world. So first is customers, first customers. Second is talent. Do I have the people in my team who can really deliver and, and fill all the key roles and functions we need? And then the third is money. Those are the three things that rock my world. And I would say in Alberta, we have some real challenges and the money aspect, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a startup, um, we don't have options that they do in America. 
for example. Banks are not an option for Canadian startups um, unless you're willing to put your house on the line. It's that simple. They, they don't take risks, so banks are kind of irrelevant. We do have government programs, but I find quite often they're small dollars and they can distract you so much that they, they almost pull you off of your your core focus for your business, just trying to meet their needs. and They tend to be niche Quite. Really, after that, your, your option is close friends, family, business associates, and what's called accredited investors. And that's really your angel community, as you were kind of mentioning. And, and that's the one I find that's the key to success. Friends, family, love money. My first startup raised about 400000 on that and then raised about a million on, on angel investors. But the angel investor community here is really hard to get to and very secretive. Um, and it really is, you know, the key is networking. You just basically have to network your ass around. And again, I, I've spent a bunch of time in Silicon Valley and uh, Austin, Texas, big tech communities, big startup communities. And you go to any sort of networking event and you'll see about a third entrepreneurs, about a third, you know, kind of infrastructure services, various hangers on, let's call them. And then about a third investors. So when you network there, there's always money kind of in the mix because they want to get to know you. They want to meet you, et cetera, to get a feel for, you know, they bet on the people. Yeah. Ideas are great, but but they got to build a relationship and bet on you. And, and it's no different here. So, you know, the real key is getting out and networking and, and getting yourself exposed. And the companies I advise and work with, I always tell them, your money is going to come from one degree of separation. Think you're going to go some pitch somewhere far off and raise a million bucks in Vancouver and you're not there and you're, you're not there all the time is, you know, that's a one in a million shot. But where I've raised my money is, is people who are one degree, they, they're a friend of a friend. There's someone through my network that's connected me or they're connected to the problem I'm solving. You know, they're, they they know the area that I'm working in so well. They're going, hey, you've got something here. So that's where my money has come from. And that's where my angels have come from, too, that network. And somebody who kind of looks at that and, and has enough of a, an informed purpose. But the key, too, is don't get distracted by feces and other people, because if the person doesn't sign their own check, I found more often than not they're wasting my time. They're. You know, they're they're speculating. When you get to this level, then we really want to talk to you. Well, you know, if you can't help me now, I may never get to that level. That's right. And if if, if when I get to that level, I'm probably not going to need you. <laughs> that's that's I especially women entrepreneurs. Um, that's the story I hear. They want they're not nobody's interested in you until you're at a million dollars. Well, once I'm at a million dollars, I can manage on my own. I can I can attract other things, and I'm not, I'm not going to need you. You're not going to be a part of my ecosystem, and and we're not contributing to supporting their local ecosystem at all, other than the fact that my business is uh, doing some work to to turn in the economy as uh, our VCs uh, seem not to. And that's my perspective. There, there may be things happening that I don't know about. I know, as you know, we were trying to start a local chapter here of Tonic a couple of years ago. That's a, a global uh, impact investing um, group. And um, they chapters didn't exist. They said, no, we don't do chapters. But we convinced them, Gary Ellis convinced them that it was a good idea that we try because we thought we had a community here and we started the rallying. We started the rallying. We, we, got, we brought together about 25, 30 people of those about 
15 of them were interested, but we couldn't rally them. We just couldn't rally people to come together to share the impact investing. And in fact, Calgary does not have a chapter of Tonic, but there are many chapters of Tonic globally now because of the idea that was generated here in Calgary. And we hear that a lot. Ideas leaving, talent leaving, um, resources leaving. And so I don't know how we're ever going to get around that. I'm hoping that the sort of micro businesses and the, the micro economy, and especially coming out of COVID, the, the new way of doing business, the ability for businesses to need to have high overhead, which lots of small entrepreneurs don't. But when you're talking about using business for good, can you talk a little bit about your conscious capitalism journey? I know you have a meetup that you started somewhat recently. I'm not sure when that started. It, it kind of got blown up by COVID as, as everything <laughs> else has. So for me, I guess the journey started about a year ago. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to this concept of conscious capitalism, and it resonated incredibly for me because one of the things I found in helping companies change and, and adapt and evolve is a lot of times companies go, well, what do we, what do we need to change into? You know, where, where, where do we need to go? And, and so, you know, some of them were looking to kind of re, re reinvent, re-understand, reinvigorate their why. And I found the conscious capitalism piece filled that hole. It really helped bring about that focus because I find most entrepreneurs I know, when you get outside public companies and down to smaller companies, they are conscious. You know, conscious capitalism is four things. It's, it is about purpose. It is about stakeholders and the environment is a stakeholder. Citizens, your community is a stakeholder. Your customers are a stakeholder. You know, it, it, it's a much more holistic perspective of your business and everyone and everything that it impacts and affects and taking ownership of the effect you have. It's, it's almost like emotional intelligence taken to the business level, you know, being aware, being cognizant and caring. And then leadership and culture are the other two aspects of it. But business is a force for good, you know, ultimately, to put it as simply as I can. And so that resonated hugely with me. And most of the entrepreneurs I know live this. You know, I know, I know lots and lots of uh, companies that, uh, that I've worked with, other entrepreneurs, really deeply care. They care about the environment. You know, when we have these conversations. I don't have to say, do you care if you pollute the, you know, pollute the streams or cut down the trees and... And, and they do care. Do you care about your people? And, our, and your customers care. So this this new generation, starting like the end of my generation, uh, that this is where it's coming on strong. And th- those customers are not going to be in your business if you're not a good business. Being a good business as opposed to doing a good business is you need both. Absolutely. And that's and that's the key. Exactly. You know, there's this, this delusion that if you do good, it's going to cost you profits. Well, the fact is, is um, John Mackey and Raj Sisodia wrote the first book, 2012, Conscious Capitalism. And they really showcased all of the companies that define themselves as conscious organizations. Companies like Costco, Honda, Toyota, you know, Zappos Shoes, Google. Uh, they're not exactly not profitable. As a matter of fact, in all their sectors, they are the most profitable. And now with ESG investing, $30 trillion around the world defines itself as ESG funds. So money wants conscious because really conscious operation is inherently ESG. So money wants conscious. Young talent, I agree with you completely. You know, Gen X, Gen well, Gen Y, Gen Z, hugely. Younger they are, the more conscious they are. They really care. They will absolutely make 
purchase decisions, shopping work decisions. I had a brilliant young PhD working in our in our GoMentor startup, and he left us for half the money to go do something that he just passionately believed in. Yeah, uh, yeah. My uh, my own business that I started in 2009, I just wound it down a couple of years ago. My cu- customers came to me because they knew how strongly I was into sustainability and to being a good business and helping those um, organizations that I was supporting to to be stronger and. My, I was able to build it up to working 20 hours a week, making just about $100,000 a year. Beautiful work-life balance. But that's because of what we were talking about before. My principles, my value, my why was very strong. My customers were very aligned with that. Their values aligned with my values. So we had shared value. And then the, the, the value that we were able to create together was bigger than both of us. And so that's what, that's what made it successful. And uh, that's why I'm trying to instill sort of these ideals into helping businesses. They have it in them. We're just co- coaching it out of them. The other piece I think is missing, and maybe you have some thoughts on this, is measurement. How are people How are people measuring their impact, and or are they? And I think that that's one of the spaces that I'm really interested in. And if you have any thoughts on that, I'd be curious about it because I'm hoping to have somebody else come on and talk about the impact. Sort of, how do we know we're doing a good business? How do we know we're being a good business other than the fact that we're making some profits? You know, right now, the big trend, like like I said, the ESG investment funds, it's a measurement system is, is really all it is. Um, ESG is a subset of the whole sustainability metrics system, and all of it builds off the UN. So the UN has got uh, sustainable development goals in 16 key areas. So basically... These ESG and sustainability measures and metrics that there are, are subsets of those that companies can then use to quantify and measure their performance vis-a-vis, you know, social, environmental, and good governance. And when we say good governance, to me, it means are you operating with some integrity? <laughs> with some GRI is one standard. It's, it's fairly common little broader, more sustainability. So GRI is one of the standards organizations. So you can look up and do research on that. Um, and then for ESG, for investment purposes in particular, something called SASB, S-A-S-B. And that's kind of the standard around this. So to your point, you know, when I, when I work with companies, we talk about them being conscious and you have to live it. That's the culture piece, leadership and culture. So you have to believe it, live it. And then when you kind of get to that point and you're starting to see the outcomes and, you know, both in terms of things like customer loyalty, customer retention, you know, you do net promoter scores and and see what your customers think about the job you're doing and how you're fulfilling your purpose and stuff. But a lot of these other ones are actually going out and then measuring and, and doing research or feedback, engaging with, your local community and getting feedback from them, dealing with some of your strategic partners, suppliers, uh, other stakeholders, and then, you know, really kind of seeing how you align. You got to live it before you measure it, and then you need to measure it so you can improve it. I love that this is becoming mainstream. I've always been the geek and the weirdo in this department for many years. And now um, with the sustainable development goals, but stronger, I think, than the millennial development goals and uh, just the new ways of of people ready to do business globally, especially in the UK, uh, to see people 
being able to have a conversation about this. You know, I'm giving you very few prompts <laughs> to, to have you tell my story. I mean, I just love it. Typically, my history has been, I have to start at the beginning and people have to roll their eyes and I have to uh, strive and strive and strive to make sure that people get even an inkling of what I'm talking about. So the fact that this sort of trend is is moving along is to me, a blessing because I feel like we're all working together. We've known each other for a while. We haven't been traveling in the same circles lately, but we are so aligned. And so just a reminder for us that we need to stay connected to our community. We, our ecosystem is moving forward and growing in the ways that we are thinking about in terms of social impact as well as profit. And we think that the, we, meaning Impact Hub and Internalist Canada, think that um, technology is going to be a part of that, is a part of that. If you're not tech enabled, you will have challenges as a business, likely. What are some of the other things that you, I mean, you have some ideals around the DNA of business. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, I'll, uh, let me give you a couple other little things to, to kind of share. So one is kind of four criteria, I say, for organizations to be adaptable and to survive and be sustainable. So there's two areas I kind of want to leave. So one is the ability of the company to be sustainable. And then the other is the demand and the way the mar I see the market shifting. And COVID-19 is accelerating that, I think. And, and, and I think it poses a whole bunch of new opportunities, you know, in the area near and dear to your heart around sustainability, because I think COVID-19 is laying bare the, the failures and weaknesses of greed is good capitalism. Uh, and I think the public, consumers, e even business people in terms of who they want to work with are starting to realize that that organizations that, that care, organizations that, that are living these higher values and, and, and understand the need for sustainability if we want to have a future are going to catch momentum. People are going to make choices who they work with and who they hire and and these types of things based on these values. And COVID-19, I think, yeah. is accelerating. How many, how many businesses and, and, and um, acquaintances have you unfriended or un, uh, delisted from your email during this time because of the just the way or the style or something's not quite right about how they're doing business? And so they're not on my list anymore, even though I didn't notice it as much before. And then, so that's so that's the one piece around kind of, trends and, and what I see going forward. The other piece is for this uh, adaptability, sustainability as a company as in, in general, there's four cues I, I, I describe it as. Um, and this, this has been a developed out of Harvard and MIT's been doing work in this area. They've been doing it personally, but I've been kind of adapting it and orienting it towards corporations and, and companies. And four Qs. So one is AQ. And uh, Harvard says AQ, adaptability quotient. You're a, you, how flexible, adaptable an organization. So I actually developed a, a, a research instrument and um, a tool to measure AQ. They say that's going to be the number one criteria or, or, or skill set for an organization to survive going forward. The other one is EQ, you know, emotional intelligence. So how, how much of a people kind of organization are we? How, how, how much have we figured out what really motivates and triggers people? Simon Sinek says, if you don't understand people, you don't understand business. And I'd say the energy sector has been a huge victim of that ignorance and is now reaping what it's sown in its, its ignorance of how people really function. AQ, EQ, uh, IQ. 
so IQ really is is strategic intelligence. You know, organizations have to be much more cognizant of the market and shifts and 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 trends in in client behaviors and much much smarter in how they operate, driving operational excellence, all these other kind of things. So that companies have, if they're going to be sustainable, have to work smarter, not harder. And then the fourth cue um, that I've incorporated, I call DQ, digital intelligence. And this is where I don't care which area you're in, you'd better understand the trends and how technology can help improve the quality, the service, uh, the variety of uh, products and services you deliver, drive efficiency, operational excellence. You know, it's not that we all have to run out and start turning our, our companies into software and programming companies, but we'd better know what technologies are out there, what tools are out there. How, how can AI impact, you know, what I do? Can I bring AI into what I do? You know, one of the areas that I was involved with was uh, this pivoting this engineering firm, and we are building fairly advanced automation systems. Um, and AI would just springboard that way forward. But you know, you got to be thinking about how am I going to bring this in? If you're in the construction industry, if you're not thinking about smart buildings, you're not going to be sustainable. Yeah, well, and just as simple as our communication technologies, there's still there's still businesses out there that don't have a way to showcase themselves to the world. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to use the technologies to communicate. So all of that ties into to what we're talking about for sure. So any final thoughts, uh, Brad, before we sort of wrap up? Um, I guess I just wanted to give kind of kudos to you for, for taking the initiative and, and doing this because I think for uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of startup companies, being able to listen to each other, you know, not necessarily having to listen to somebody who's a world-renowned expert, but somebody who's kind of walked a mile on your own shoes and being able to share, you know, some of the hard lessons. I've I've had more successes than failures, but my failures seem to be bigger, you know, and we still don't know if GoMentor will survive. Uh, got strong hopes for our, our uh, homes market startup. Y- you you got to believe entrepreneurs are the problem solvers that are going to make us sustainable and carry us into the future. And you supporting that ecosystem, that's, you know, especially bringing in younger entrepreneurs and and supporting and helping them. That's what's going to save us. That's what's going to make us truly sustainable. Well, it is the vast majority of our economy. And I think that for some reason we don't know that or we don't remember that. And so, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do a redo Mulligan version of our interview. <laughs> We've learned a lot uh, from uh, using our technology now to make a really good podcast, I believe. And thanks to our hundreds of listeners out there. Come back again next week for our next episode of Leaners, Innovators, and Big Idea Podcast. Thanks, Lori. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. 
Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.